Praise the Lord, everybody. I always like to make y'all say that twice so we can really focus in on why we're here. Praise the Lord. Oh, that was good. Praise the Lord. It was good to see everyone here tonight. Um, I was thinking just a few moments ago that, you know, when we begin our relationship with God, it's like the honeymoon phase. It's so exciting and, and, and such a beautiful experience, and the things in our lives and issues of our lives, they become very dim. But then, and then, life kind of encroaches on our, our experience, and, and things that we weren't thinking of kind of rear their ugly head, and I was thinking of a scripture in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Christ has made us free, ladies and gentlemen, and he intends for you to stay that way. We love, we love the Lord tonight. We want to thank those that are uh, joining us in live stream and all of you that are here. We're going to ask our ushers to come forward and give you an opportunity to worship God in giving. Y'all pray with me. Lord, we love and appreciate you tonight, dear Lord. We pray that you take this offering used to further your kingdom, dear Lord. Bless the gift and the giver. Anoint the remainder of this service in your precious and holy name. Everyone say amen. Just have a few announcements for you tonight. Number one, we, uh, if you do not know this, Kids Church has resumed. And if you look around, we have very few young people in here, so I think they understand that. Saturday, February 22nd, we have men's prayer in the A Center. We had a fantastic time of prayer last, our last month. And if you are uh, able to, please join us in prayer. We certainly uh, need it as a, as a church. Sunday, March 1st, is the annual business meeting at 6 p.m. in the A Center. And on Sunday, March 15th, it will be uh, baby dedication Sunday. Please contact the church office if you would like a baby to be dedicated. Do you love the Lord tonight? Do you love our pastor tonight? Well, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise as he comes to the pulpit. Thank you, Brother Ben, and great to see everyone here tonight. And uh, thank you so very much for coming. And uh, what an amazing service this past Sunday. And I'm very thankful for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and uh, I know that we had at least two receive the Holy Ghost here this past Sunday and possibly a third at least refill with the Holy Ghost. And then we had an amazing, amazing miracle here this past Sunday that we'll talk about a little bit this coming Sunday. So I'm thankful for the moving of God's presence and his interest in the church and uh, his interest in our lives. Uh, I believe God cares about every one of us here tonight in a supreme way, and I'm very thankful for that. I would encourage you to be here this coming Sunday. Uh, you don't want to miss. I have a feeling that there are some folks that were not here this past Sunday that regretted it after you heard what all happened. So wherever you went, wherever you were Sunday, I hope it was a big deal, man. I hope it was worth the trip. So God bless you. God bless you folks. Hope to see y'all here this coming Sunday. Invite somebody to come out with you. And um, who knows what's going to happen this coming Sunday. I have a, <clears throat> a lot of content in this Bible study that I want to teach tonight. I 
laid a little bit of foundation for it last Wednesday night. And uh, tonight I want to delve into it a little bit more. Uh, I want to talk to you tonight. I want to ask you a question. What is biblical fellowship? And uh, I don't want anyone to think that I'm teaching generic. Uh, Again, there's a lot of content, a lot of substance in what I'll be presenting to you tonight. So in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, let me start over. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, talking about Christ. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness. And show unto you that eternal life, which was the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. I want you to notice in verse 3 that he is declaring very, to me, with a lot of intensity, uh, going through a lot of effort to say that we we have been with Jesus from the beginning. Since he started his ministry, we've heard him. We've seen him with our eyes. Our hands have handled him. Now, we, we want you to have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with him. So I wanted to ask you tonight, what is biblical fellowship? For us in our culture today, fellowship is getting together in the fellowship hall. And we laugh and joke and we have a good time. I'm not diminishing that. But that's not what the Bible means when it talks about fellowship. Again, John said that we want you to come have fellowship with us because we're in fellowship with him. There are some significant thoughts that John will raise throughout this epistle. And if when, you, when you read 1 John most people believe the key theme of thought would be test or testing. There are certain tests that prove us and you'll find those in John's epistle. Each of these tests are basically exclusive to each other and yet there is such an interlinking of each test that the failure of one test will certainly affect the outcome of the others. So the test that John speaks of in his epistles, there's three of them. There's the test of fellowship, and that's when the church, the people of God, have fellowship with God and then with fellow believers. And then the second test that he mentioned is the test of doctrine, 
including the understanding of Jesus Christ, also of sin, also of Antichrist that he talks about, and also false doctrine. The third test is a test of morality. That is the biblical view of obedience, love, holiness, and sin. So there's three tests that, of, of, that John talks about that has to do with our fellowship with God and our fellowship with one another. Again, it's the test of fellowship, the test of doctrine, and the test of morality. So from this list, which could be expanded, one understands that John is very much determined. He comes across very plain and, and, and hard, if you will, that the church is a very exclusive entity to which people are born into. You're born into the church. According to the words of Jesus in John chapter 3 and the words of Peter and John in Acts chapter 2. So it's not just a society that you join. You pay a little membership fee and you're in. It's not like a fancy golf course somewhere. It's not like uh, these, these community uh, groups that I'm not going to name any of them, but uh, it's not like that. The church is an entity scripturally that you are born into. So the test of fellowship, the very first test that John mentions, the test of fellowship will immediately betray the pretenders and will affirm the authentic. This role of fellowship is with saints and with God. So it's not just social functions between you and I but John plows much deeper, and I hope you begin to see that. He plows real deep here, that our fellowship is first with God and then with one another. And the church, again, is an entity that, that believers are born into, spiritually speaking. So the role of fellowship is, is with the saints and with God, and its ultimate purpose, John says, is to bring joy or completeness into the life of the believer. Let me give you a little background of, of why John is writing this. He, he was facing challenges uh, for the gospel, if you will, the success of the gospel in his day as we are today. They're not exactly the same, but the challenge is, is nonetheless very real. So let me again set the stage in the context for what John was dealing with in the first century when he wrote this epistle. He's dealing basically with two groups of people. The first was the Gnostics. When I taught the adult Sunday school class last year, last summer, I got into some of this and, and shared with you what Gnosticism is. Uh, I don't expect you to remember that. I'll share, with it, share that with you again. But Gnosticism, this, this group of people, they held high the idea that they had a higher revelation than anyone else. They understood more, they saw more, there was more content to them than there were other people. Paul warned of this in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 when he mentioned that there were high things that exalted themselves even above Jesus. And that's what these people were doing. The Gnostics believed basically 
that material substance was evil and that man was inherently good but was trapped by a bad body. The only hope for salvation was through a form of higher thinking. This form of self-knowledge would open up man to actually discovering the God that was within him. Allow this great hope to have a role in life, but in the meantime, just let the flesh do whatever it wanted to do. Let it be driven by the whims and passions of the flesh. This thought process basically had the idea that guilt could be alleviated. There's more nuances to the concept of Gnosticism, but basically that's what John was dealing with in the society of that day. So he was dealing with Gnostics, and his epistle, I'll get into the second one in just a moment, his epistle does not so much call in question the exact nature of the doctrinal error as it does to simply restate the fundamentals of the faith. These views of heresy were simply calling into question the humanity of Jesus and the atonement of sin. So bottom line, what was driving Gnosticism and their high form of thinking, as they referred to themselves as, is they were actually disputing and denying that Jesus was human and that his uh, sacrifice at Calvary was actually for the atonement of sin. So to call into question the humanity of Jesus Christ was to embrace a questioning of God himself. Now, again, we don't live in that exact mold today, but there are similar ideas and concepts and principles and things that are floating all around our culture today that would have you diminish who you know about what you know about Jesus and the fact that you know who he is. It'll play with your head. I talked about this past, talked about this this past Sunday that Jesus couldn't do a lot of work in his hometown because he had no, no, uh, Meaning to them, a prophet is without honor, Jesus said, save in his own country. They de-godded Jesus. And this, this principle right here is pretty much saying the same thing. They were taking God out of relationship with mankind. So there was basically a conflict with Gnosticism and Docetism. I'll come to that in a moment. Notice the screen. This, is their, this was their posture. Instead of divine revelation standing as judge over man's ideas, man's ideas judged God's revelation. And that statement to me, from my perspective, pretty much encapsulates a good portion of our religious community and our culture today. More and more, you're hearing about Christian people who are de-godding their religion more and more. There was a strong movement a number of years ago. A very prolific Christian leader wrote a book about the fact that there was no hell. This is the kind of things that the church is, is dealing with, and, and we have to start through. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart. And I want to tell you, folks, if you don't do it, you're making yourself vulnerable to every wind and doctrine that blows along, that comes along. Um, there's, there's churches in, in our area, and I have to be very careful here, but there's, there's church plants in our area that have even diminished the thinking of some folks at Grace Church on what's really sin or not. And pastor comes to the pulpit, if I didn't have to battle this all the time, we could teach you some other stuff. 
the heresy featured two basic doctrines. First, some asserted that Jesus' physical manifestation, is what they said, was not real, but only seemed to be physical. This is docetism, that Jesus' physical appearance seemed to be real, but it really wasn't. The word docetism, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, is from a Greek word that means to appear. It just appeared that way, but it was, really wasn't real. And that's the diminishing we see going on in our religious circles in our society today, that it appears to be real, but it's really not. I'm not here to teach that, but I'm just saying these things in passing. I have other things to go on to. So John forcefully affirmed the physical reality of Jesus Christ by reminding his readers that he is an eyewitness to him. He said, I heard him, I've seen him, and I've handled him. And all of us here at Grace Church need to understand that posture when people get into your ear and they want to try to diminish what you believe and the legitimacy of what you believe, you can say, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I have seen him, I've heard him, and I've felt his presence in my life. There's no question. God is God, his word is his word, and that settles it. And we need to understand that here tonight. Thank the Lord. Everybody said amen. amen. The miracle that transpired here Sunday with... Uh, Randy's little boy, Eli, affirmed to me again the absolute power and majesty of Almighty God. How can you have seen that and walk away saying, I'm not sure that was really real or not. But people do it. People do it. According to early tradition, another form of this heresy which John may have attacked in his epistle was led by a man named Serenthus who contended that Christ's spirit descended on the human Jesus at his baptism, but left him just before his crucifixion. This is the stuff that, that our, our Bible writers, when you read these books and epistles, a lot of you folks just read the scripture for devotional purposes. You need to take it a step further and study it. You don't read a verse just to get a little of inspiration and a little chill bump and a little cotton candy out of it. You need to study and see what it means. These guys were battling all kinds of stuff pertaining to who Jesus was and what his ministry and what his sacrifice was about. Here was a clown, use the word clown, that said, yeah, his, the spirit of God descended on him when, when uh, he was baptized, but it left him just before his crucifixion. That's what they dealt with, and there were people back then that believed it. So John wrote that the same Jesus who was baptized at the beginning of his ministry was the same person who was crucified on the cross. And that's why I read to you and I wanted to start over. He said, I've seen him, I've heard of him, I've heard him, and I've handled him. He's real. His flesh is real, and what he did was real. I've experienced him, and I have my, his spirit on the inside of me. We need to learn that posture. We can't let our culture wear us down in what we believe and what we accept. We are blitzed every single day through the media with anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Bible rhetoric and propaganda, and after a while, you'll start believing it if you're not careful. So from this passage of Scripture, John sets forth some things that are crucial to fellowship with Christ. John stated that he had heard, seen, looked upon, and handled the word of life, which was Christ. The first three terms that John used all involved the physical senses that did not require touching. When one momentarily goes back to John 1.1, 1, 1, 
When John wrote his gospel, he made use of the word beheld, which indicates to us that the beloved apostle steadily sought to apprehend everything about Jesus with deep understanding. He just didn't want to follow him. He wanted to know him. He wanted to fellowship him. I want just a casual handshake and a good morning, how are you, Jesus? I want to know who you are. I want to know what makes you tick. I want to know what your heartbeat is. I want to know what your purpose is. John made it very clear that I understood from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry what he was doing. I believe there was some revelation there. So in John's desire to impart the process of real fellowship, he states, our hands have handled this is a direct reference to Luke 24, 39 and John 20, 27. I'll read those. Remember when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he appeared to his disciples and he said in Luke 24, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see, he said, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. So Jesus was assuring them that I'm the real deal. You're not looking at a theophany. You're not looking at a ghost. You're not looking at something that appears to be something it's not. This is the real deal. And then in John 20, 27, he said to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, notice, my Lord, he said, and my God. Jesus said unto him, bless uh, Thomas because thou hast uh, Thomas, because thou hast seen me then and believed, blessed are they have not seen and yet believed. One, once the test of handling Jesus takes place, certain things follow. I feel almost like I should have saved this for Sunday. I feel a little preach coming on, but I'm not going to do it. Once the test of handling, the test of fellowship takes place. Certain things follow. In Luke 24, 39, after the disciples had handled the Lord, one translation renders, because of their exhilarating joy, they could hardly comprehend the resurrection of the Savior. Joy comes through handling Jesus or the word of life. It, it, that's, what, that's the byproduct of it. Did not the psalmist prophesy that? With joy shall you draw water from the well of salvation? And the scriptures is full of that. But secondly, and I've got, I'm trying to hurry. In John 20, one discovers the test of handling or fellowship is offered to Thomas. Thomas, we just read the verse, had also been wounded by his doubt and discouragement at, at, at seeing the Lord crucified. In fact, Thomas would have been considered as the consummate pessimist. He heard the Lord speak of his death and had determined that the best thing for all the disciples to do was go and die with the Lord is what Thomas said in John 11. But now confronted with the physical presence of God, he could see, hear, and look upon, he could see, hear, and look upon the physical form, but until Thomas touched him, that's fellowship. That's fellowship. Y'all feel me here tonight? That's, it's not just that traditional praise the Lord, hallelujah, but it's getting somewhere on your face before God and you stay there until you're enveloped by his presence. That's what I'm talking about here tonight. 
But until Thomas touched him, his doubt held him captive. Yet once he touched the scars of the cross, great revelation flooded his soul. My Lord and my God became the great exclamation of Thomas. The challenge of handling the Lord can, can often be thwarted by a simple desire to just be in the same room or building with God, which I believe a lot of us are just happy about that. Well, I'm just glad Jesus was there. I didn't really engage the presence of God that much, but I know he was there. And some of us are contented with that. But I'm encouraging everybody here tonight. Grace is having a very intimate moment with the Holy Ghost in the past number of weeks. And I want to ride that wave as long as we can. So the, the challenge of handling the Lord can be uh, thwarted by simple desire just to be in the same room or building with the Lord. But when we are willing to touch the scars of the cross... An immediate transformation occurs. Far too often in the modern church, there's a real hesitation to handle Jesus or to handle the word of life, as John said. Therefore, what often happens is that we hear nothing more than archaic doctrine that has little effect on our world or on ourselves for that matter. Furthermore, what we see often arouses nothing more than just a mere nod of assent to the fact that the doctrine works in the lives of some, but not necessarily our own. This is what contact with Calvary does. Contact with Calvary always brings about transformation. And that's why Thomas said, my Lord, the minute he touched him, he was transformed into a believer. And he said, my Lord. And then comes a revelation. I just touch God. And you say, my God. The my Lord is transformation. The my God is revelation. It is almost shocking that the Lord would literally demand for Thomas to touch his scarred hands and pierce side. The underlying thought very well could be that he understood that out of his own pain, out of Jesus' own pain, Thomas would gain revelation. Listen to pastor tonight. This is very much an apostolic pattern in the word of God that is repeated uh, over and over, actually throughout the eras of, of church history. Pain for some will lead to revelation for others. I'm not here to patronize anybody here tonight, but I've not had opportunity to talk to, to Brandy in detail about what happened Sunday, but what I've heard is her little four-year-old Eli, or Elijah, was born with some very difficult and challenging physical situations. One being that he could not walk flat on his feet, he could only tiptoe. Neither could he walk up steps without braces on his legs. This past Sunday, God touched him, and he was walking around the front of this, this area right here flat-footed. I didn't know all of this. And I said, Brandy, bring him up here so everybody can see him. And he walked up the steps without his braces. God healed him. This is what I'm talking about here tonight. As all the pain that that little boy has suffered has brought great revelation of Christ to a lot of other people. We have to handle him for real transformation and revelation to occur. I, I still don't think some of you are really hearing and grasping what I'm trying to say here tonight. If you want to know who Jesus is, you're going to get your face in the book and your face in a prayer room somewhere, and you're not going to come out until you know who he is. But when you do, when you touch him and handle him and the, the level of fellowship that the Bible is teaching, then everything about you changes 
Yes, it does. So the obvious question that should arise is determining how we to handle the Lord. One handles the Lord greatly. Uh, how he handles the Lord will determine the true spiritual health of a disciple. Our view of God and our view of sin will greatly affect how we handle Jesus. If you don't believe sin's a big deal, if you don't believe the world's a big deal and you don't believe lifestyle's a big deal, then your view of God's gonna be from a long ways away. But the closer you get to him and the things of this world, the old song says, will grow strangely dim in the glory of his goodness and grace. That's the way it works. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and God has to be, has to be very clearly viewed through the lens of scripture and not that of human experience. So here's a quick little list to stimulate some thinking about your current spiritual condition. It comes from the book written by Donald Whitney called 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. And you'll notice uh, uh, on the screen tonight, the first question is if you wanna know how healthy you are spiritually, the first question you should ask yourself is do you have a thirst for God? Do you have a thirst for God? If you don't, then your spirituality is in question. Are you governed increasingly by God's word or lesser by God's word? Are you more loving since you met Jesus? Are you more sensitive to God's presence? Do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of others? Do you delight in the, the bride of Christ? Are spiritual disciplines increasingly more important to you? Do you still grieve over sin? Are you a quick forgiver? Do you yearn for heaven and to be with the Lord? These are questions. If you can't answer honestly and in the affirmative, you may want to go back to your prayer closet for a little while. What we handle, what we handle is what we fellowship. I want to say in passing tonight, as I'm, I'm hearing more and more of, of church people, and, and, and I've taught for years that we should not isolate ourselves as a church. We need to insulate ourselves against the world. But if you can't do that, then if you can't insulate against the world and hanging out with the wrong people, then maybe you should isolate, isolate yourself. But I'm, I'm hearing more and more things just in, in the past number of weeks of, of who people's friends are. And, and, and they're literally beginning to convert to lifestyles and, and, and agreeing with lifestyles that the Bible teaches very hardcore against. We can't do that. You don't let them pull you to where they are. The point is you pull them to where you are. If they don't respond to that, then maybe you move on to new friends. So let me talk to you for just a few more moments with my time remaining for tonight. And we're going to pick this up next Wednesday night, Lord willing. So let me talk to you about the focus of fellowship. Progressing forward to 1 John 1, 3, and 4 that we read. Note the word fellowship. And I pointed that out to you several times. Strong gives the following connotation of this word. Uh, first of all, fellowship is a partnership. It's literal participation. It's social interaction and its financial benefaction is to communicate to have communion to have distribution to have fellowship this is what the biblical word fellowship means it's not just a handshake and go to somebody's house and have a meal and leave there's more to it than that and I'm, I'm making huge emphasis 
tonight on fellowship with God, but now we're going to start moving a little bit towards having fellowship with others. To further expand on this word, one can note where it is listed in other places throughout the New Testament. I'm going to take some time to go through this. In some cases, the word is translated differently than the fellowship, the definition that we just gave you, and I'll show you that. But when one determines the different ways that the translator dealt with this word, it it further opens up to us what true fellowship means. Notice what biblical fellowship means. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, a verse that we hear often, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's a huge Bible study right there. Maybe we'll do that in the very near future. But they continued in the the apostles' doctrine. They hung out with people who believed the same thing and had fellowship. I say fellowship. The word fellowship here means intimate fellowship. It means in testimony. They shared testimony with one another. They broke bread. They prayed together. They were trusting. They were loyal. They were faithful. They would forbear one another, those of like precious faith. So in Acts 2.42, that's what the word fellowship means. It goes a whole lot further than what we call fellowship. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul said, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our, our Lord. This is also intimate fellowship, but it means this. It's fellowship with Jesus in praying, fasting, Bible study, tithing, giving, development of the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and praise and worship. So you have two, the two, the same word translated fellowship, but they have two completely different meanings. Acts 2.42 is how we fellowship with one another. 1 Corinthians 1.9 is how we fellowship with God. It's biblical fellowship, but that's not all. In 2 Corinthians 8, 4, Paul said, praying with us, uh, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. Again, this is intimate fellowship, but it's helping fellow saints of God with thoughts and acts of kindness, with all long suffering in a spirit of benevolence without expecting the same in return. So here we've read the, the word fellowship three times and you have three different meanings. This is biblical fellowship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with one another, and now we have fellowship with thoughts and acts of kindness. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. This is intimate fellowship, but it's having a Christ-like attitude towards all people without bias or prejudice. It's a little hard for our culture today because we have bents and attitudes and prejudice and bias towards other people. There's groups and segments of our society and races of people in our society we don't like too much and we sure don't want them in our church. A man, when our church was in Baker, he is deceased now and I'll not use his name, but he told me one time uh, he was a white Caucasian man And he said, the first time a black person starts attending this church, I'm out of here. And I said, well, don't let the door hit you in the back on your way out. I mean it. And vice versa. 
But then there's other groups and other races of people that we're not that fond of. There's immoral people that we're not that fond of. Fellowship with Christ and fellowship with godly people. We have to manifest a Christ-like attitude towards all people without bias or prejudice. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship, the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. This word fellowship means sometimes life can be difficult to the point that it seems unfair. It will involve pain and suffering. A relationship with God does not exempt us from suffering. But we must understand that difficulties help develop character and we have the promise that God will be with us. A whole nother meaning. This is biblical fellowship. This is what the Bible teaches fellowship between us and God and one another should be. And then there's another word in the, the New Testament is communion. In 1 Corinthians, the cup, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This is fellowship with sacrifice. This is fellowship when you don't want to. This is fellowship when it's not convenient. Kind of does away with the I don't feel good, so I'm going to stay home tonight kind of attitude. I don't think Jesus was jumping up and down to get nailed to a cross either. And after that beating he took all night the night before, he sure wasn't looking forward to it. But he went on anyway. <clears throat> I'm sorry I shouldn't mention that little illustration right there because it gets a little close to home, don't it? And then in Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of God, of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate forgiveness. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. This fellowship involves continual praise to God. And then there's contribution mentioned in Romans 15, 20. Did y'all know all this was in the Bible about fellowship? This is a content of biblical fellowship. And we as American, Southern Christian American people, we need to realign our perspective and our understanding when it pertains to biblical fellowship it's not for you to decide what it is, but to conform to what the Bible says it is. Romans fifteen twenty six. for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution for the poor saints which are Jerusalem. Fellowship sometimes involves contributing to the saints who are in need. So John sets forth the thought that there is a fellowship that accomplishes three things. When you put all this together, there's a fellowship that accomplishes three things. Number one, there's a fellowship with saints. Number two, there's a fellowship with God. Number three, there's a tandem between this fellowship with God and the saints that should produce joy. So when John sets forth this principle, he is clearly indicating that the true apostolic church was to have no fellowship with the Gnostics and the Docetists that I just mentioned. The fellowship was to be limited to those who only embraced the doctrine of Jesus Christ and the apostles. Y'all listen to me here tonight, Grace Church. We can have friends, we can have acquaintances and people in our lives, people we work with, you don't have to be rude, mean or whatever. But when you want to pour your heart out to somebody, when you want to divulge things about you and, and, and manifest your spirit and attitude, it should be with Jesus 
or with God's people. What happens when you pour your heart out to people who are not godly, they will give you secular advice and secular counseling that will move you further away from Jesus instead of bringing you closer to him. You need to be careful who you fellowship with. So in conclusion tonight, Paul said in Ephesians chapter five, verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. That's not pastor. That's the Bible. Have no fellowship, he said, with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. See, I'll I'll get into this next Wednesday night if we have time. There's this feeling in our culture that we Christians all ought to band together and we all are on the same side. No, we're not. No, we're not. There's a lot of controversy between denominations and what they believe. Um, I have minister friends here in Central, very happy to call them my friend, but our friendship is very limited and our, the content of our conversation is very limited. Unless they show hunger to know more, uh, I've already been interrogated two or three times about what do you Pentecostals really believe? And it's said with a tone of sarcasm and what have you, I just, I walk away from that. I'm not going to try to fellowship or conquer that kind of a demeanor and that kind of an attitude. The Bible said not to fellowship with people of unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So Paul exhorted the Ephesians to come to have no union with the unfruitful works of darkness. This was a common theme with Paul, and we will revisit it several times in 1 John. I'm going to have to stop here. Um, If I continue on, um, to try to get to the end of this, we'll be here to a lot later, obviously. So I'm just going to stop right here and be real nice to you folks. It's 12 minutes after 8, so y'all owe me. Now it's 13 minutes, so y'all owe me 17 minutes in the future at some point that I can cash in on at my discretion. Is that fair? So I'm going to stop right here, but folks... Again, I want to remind you that I'm, I'm hearing more and more that um, we're, we're hanging out with folks that's pulling us in the wrong direction. There's people now that do things and believe things that five years ago you'd have never believed it, wouldn't have thought about doing it. If you're not closer to God today than you were a year ago, you're going backwards, and you need to be transparent enough and honest enough with yourself to go look at yourself in the mirror and say, how am I doing spiritually? Do I love God more or am I doing less than I was doing this time last year? Is my relationship with God weaker right now than it was a year ago? I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. Don't slough this off. You'll find yourself buried into a situation you can't pull yourself out of if you're not careful. Let the Holy Ghost lead you. Let the Spirit of the Lord talk to you. You study the Word of God. You dig it out. You teach your family. You teach your kids. And let's be better here at Grace Church than we've ever been before. And everybody said amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. If you appreciate pastor letting you out 16 minutes early, say amen. Amen. I want to see all of you after church tonight. (laughs) God bless you. You're dismissed. And we'll see you Sunday morning.
Make way through the world. 